The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode seven of season four of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I have Tom Went and David Throckmorton back in the studio, and we are doing 10 reasons to love the great Joe Chambers. Now, the name Joe Chambers might not be household to everyone. Um, if you're way deep into modern jazz, you, I'm sure you are a fan of his. But if you're not, there's tons of great music out there. He's played on some of the classic records by Wayne Shorter and Joe Henderson and many others. So we're going to dive deep into 10 Reasons to Love Joe Chambers. I kind of let Tom and Dave handle the bulk of it because for me, there's just one record I go to often that represents, you know, when I want to hear Joe Chambers. But now I've got ton of other things to listen to. So let's get to it with Joe Chambers. Yeah. Why don't we pick Joe Chambers, first of all, for this? I love Joe, too. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> I feel like sometimes there were so many great drummers, obviously, so many amazing jazz drummers that were, I mean, not that he only made Blue Note records, but from the classic Blue Note kind of records of the 60s, there's so many, everybody thinks of Elvin and Tony right away, and, and, then, and then you go back and you have, you know, you have... I mean, you could speak better than me, probably. But, you know, there's always, you know, Philly Joe and Blakey, of course, and, you know, so, so many more. Billy Higgins, on and on and on. And when I was coming up and first got turned on to Joe in the 90s, I was when I got familiar with him, I felt like, why am I not hearing about this guy more? And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was drum magazines or talking to musicians. Yeah. And as soon as I heard him, I was like, this guy's super amazing. You know, just Absolutely. incredible, you know, like Rasenable Beats, super amazing, really influential for me personally. And um, I also just loved a lot of the music he was involved mm. with. So that helps, you know. That was kind of what it was for me, too. Yeah. I enjoyed his playing, but the, so many of the records are just incredible records. So just, and for me, it, his playing, of course, but his compositions. Yeah. And, you know, he was a great mallet player. You know, he was a member, an important member of M. Boom, Max Roach's percussion ensemble. Oh, that's right. And uh, there's a lot more to him, I think, than oh. a lot of people sort of understand. I'm sure there's a lot more to him than I'm even familiar with. Oh, likewise. You know? And I also think he, in my opinion, he's one of the most influential players that doesn't really get talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's influenced a lot of drummers who so. play today. And I think I hear more about him now than I used to in some ways from other people. Sure. But, you know, like I said earlier, not as much as, like, the the the, the, the mainstays that always get talked about. Um, where do we begin? So I only picked one because literally there's one record that I go to all the time, <laughs> and I let you guys pick the others. So um, we can start wherever you want, man. Let's do yours, Mike. Yeah, let's yeah. start with Shade of Jade. To me, this... Um, this is, I mean, it's... One yeah. of the most classic records of that era. I, I mean, think everything after, about it is great. The players, the music, everything. <laughs> you know, the and recording. Kinda, uh, there's like an edginess to him that I really like. It's like a certain angular. Yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. He's not super precise, but there's a lot of power and soul to it. And and at the time, I kind of checked out this record. I was hanging out with Mickey Roker a bunch, and it was mm. kind of like, oh, these are the same sort of generational players. There's some <clears> R&B kind of stuff happening in their vibe. They were contemporaries for sure. Yeah, and his cymbal sound like redefined everything for me. I I don't I don't know what I did. I had an A custom eighteen that I taped up trying <laughs> to get this sound. <laughs> or something crazy. There's gonna be ads popping up on the audio. That's all right. Um so while this is getting through the ads. So this is a shade of jade off of um, Joe Mode Henderson for Joe. Mode for Joe. Um, yeah, this is to me is the record for Joe Chambers, so I'm excited to hear your guys' picks because I need more. This is the one where I still, I mean, I've listened to it a million times, and it, sure, like I said, it's some of my favorite music, so just the beginning. Oh, the way he accents the, the tune is so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Here we go. Thank you. 
I could listen to the whole track, but man, yeah. that symbol changed everything for me. And I just realized for the first time ever that he's accenting the vibraphone part. Yep. Why did I not hear that the first 8,000 times I've listened to this? But you, you know what, man? That's what makes these records so great. We yeah. talk about that all the time. You know, it, you, you hear it the 10,000 and one th one th time. Yeah, right. And, and you go like, whoa, what's yeah. that? You know? Yeah, I know. Well, it's I never so heard great. Before. Yeah. So good. Just the way the he The sound of that, the harmony and the horns. And it's an amazing tune. It's a. Yeah. Know. It's a tune a lot of people, I feel like, that I play with play a lot too. It's like played. I've yeah. been playing that really? tune a lot the last five, it is six played, years. Yeah, which is great. You know. you know. Do you try to do the Joe thing, or I, mean, how do you I, I usually don't. I just, I mean, the influence is there for sh for sure because I love him so much. But like, for instance, if I play it with Dan Wilson, sometimes we'll do it like, like a straight feel, almost like it's funkier. Oh a yeah. Little. Hmm. But we, if we play a swing, and he's always like waiting for me to do the Joe Chambers thing, you know, <laughs> playing those like those offset accents, you know, and. And I, I usually never do it. He kind of gives me the look, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like I'm just playing the, the, the regular ones. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You can do that. Yeah. So what I picked up from him, see if if I'm accurate, is he phrases in threes a lot in four four, like that. His cymbal beat cycles in in threes often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was just one thing I picked up. Like, oh, I should try that. And how do I, how does that shape the way I would comp around someone? Like a dee da da dee da. Yeah, like everything is sort of a three over four kind of look to it. Super slick. What is the symbol? Anyone know? Well, I don't know exactly. I mean, I've talked to some people about my friend, like Paul Wells, and I talk about sometimes. I think there's some A. It's like a lot of A's. A at some point, and there's definitely a 22 inch K that he's playing for a while. I don't know what's on what records totally. You know, like that symbol to me sounds like an A. Yeah, it does. You know, especially the way just hearing it now through this. You know, but. I, so think, I haven't thought about that for a while. Then I heard him going to time. I was like, ooh, that yeah. sounds nasty. I, I think one of the things I try to always keep in mind when I listen to these guys from this era is, A, A, <laughs> um, you know, drum equipment was not what it is today at all. Mm. So these guys didn't have a whole lot to choose from, you know. And the other thing to realize is they weren't stars making a ton of money. Mm. You know, some of these guys had little endorsement deals, but they, you know, they weren't, you know, wealthy, you know, artists that had a ton of, you know, they, they yeah. kind of got what they could, you know. I mean, I'm sure they, they, they pick symbols sometimes, but mm -hmm. sometimes they played what they could get their hands on. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, you know, they were not spending hours, you know, finding the perfect <laughs> symbol for yeah. this date. You know, they weren't doing that. So it's what you're saying is thing. nothing's changed. We're all playing what we can get our hands on. <laughs> For us, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, anyway. It's so distinct. <laughs> and also, his snare drum is so explosive. Yeah, very, oh, yeah. very, like... Yeah, it's, like, saturated. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, like, on every record, he sounds like strong. that. Strong. He's really strong. Yep. And I don't think, when I've seen video and playing, it doesn't ever look like he's overexerting himself or, or being no. overly forceful. Mm. He just has that, that's his touch, and it's yep. it's really beautiful, too, unless on the, whether it's loud or soft. To me, it's it's, like, it's strong, and it... Stands out, but I don't feel like he's over doing no, anything. No. If you, I mean, for me, I almost chose this track, but I wasn't sure. If you listen to McCoy Tyner's Tender Moments, uh, the opening track, uh, Mode for Miles, he's just, or, or uh, Mode for John, sorry, not Mode for Miles. He, he's, he's just, that's like him at his like most, most, I mean, some of the stuff he plays is mm. like, wow, you know? And if you listen on a good set of speakers or headphones, you can hear, I mean, it's Van Gelder recording, and you can hear he's filling the room. The up, room, yeah. You know, with sound. He's, I've never know. met him. Is he a big dude? Yes, he's tall. I, I've never met him either. He's a pretty tall guy. Sounds like he, he's a big dude. Yeah, he's a pretty big Looks guy. Looks like big, strong, yeah, broad big shoulders. Yeah. And, like, you know. and he's very, he's a man of few words. For what, you know, he's very. Yeah. You know. So that's the in, my entryway. I'll hand it over to you guys now. Where do we go? You Take wanna, your pick. You want to pick one of yours? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is the record. So I picked two songs off of this record. It's Wayne Shorter record called Etc. Which I'm not sure if it's actually the first thing I ever heard him on, but it's the first thing I that captured my imagination. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is so bad. Yeah. You know, and I just listened to this over and over and over and over. Um, Which tune? Let's do the one we that you just had on uh, Barracuda. Barracuda, all right. General Assembly. That's right. Just scary. What year? 
June of 65. 65? Yeah. 65. So would this have been... In, in Wayne's discography, where does it land with, like, Speak No Evil and all that? It was, it was just after that. Really? Speak No Evil was December 64, I believe. So it's it's right in there with Juju and, you know, Speak No Evil. It's right in that, that, that classic era. It's funny, when you go back to a lot of that stuff, how much of it is within the same... It's amazing, yeah. ...two or three-year period. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty it's, incredible. It's ridiculous. I think these records sound very different than those, though. Like a different vibe when you put a different drummer on the band. Is the rest of the... No, the whole band's different, It's right? very... Di I mean, Herbie, Herbie, you know. Okay, so from, from the top? Sure. Is that what I... I can't remember what you I... You didn't give me any yeah. spots, so... I think it's probably the top, then. All right. sound that's a K right would you guess I would guess I it sounds like it certainly could be yeah man there's some elven vibe in that mm -hmm. that I didn't hear in, in the Joe Henderson record yeah I mean I think what do I know but I mean yeah I'm sure I'm sure I mean, some we, of that we, is we've all there. heard elven yeah with Wayne so much too it's mm. it's you know it's it, and they, you know they, the, the Van Gogh recordings it's easy to kind of yeah to, to hear it as um, a similar style or a sure, similar sure. vibe, you know. But they were all they were all on that scene together, so they were all hearing each other. And mm. I think you, I think that influence just kind of comes in, like you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think whoever you're you're around and you're hearing, both live and on record, I mean that's gonna that's gonna inform what you do to some extent. I think anyway. I'm sure, sure. that's true for me. Is yeah. there a better time period than 63, 64, 65? I mean... There was a lot of great Holy music, smokes. Yeah. yeah. You imagine just being around New York that time? I've talked to a lot of people who were, and it's... Everybody's just kind of like, yeah, it was amazing. It was <laughs> everywhere. Because it, it was wasn't just, just that. You also had, you know, like Hendrix was coming up, and uh, all that the stuff. Beatles were breaking through. I mean... Well, one of the people goodness. I've talked about, talked to this about is the great Mensa Wali from... Kinte Arts, and he was in the middle of all that, and he told me that like those guys, like Bobby Hutcherson, Freddie, Joe Chambers, like they were all, they were all working together, and like he said, there would you could go hear those guys play at clubs in Brooklyn and stuff back then, like that's, hmm. you know what I'm like, like different combinations of those guys, like that would have been just amazing. Oh yeah. my gosh, you know, I can't even imagine because those records are literally just a little snapshot, snapshot mm -hmm. you know, it's amazing. You, know, yeah. you get this little window into that. <laughs> yeah, did this band ever go on the road? Probably not. I doubt it. Not to my knowledge. I would doubt it, though. I mean, most of these were just recording bands. That's these crazy. guys would get record dates, and they would say, okay, who's available? What can I do? What's the music I want to play? You know? Yeah. Any specific reason why you picked that? I mean, there's there's some drum breaks, and, I, you know... Um, it's killing. I, I, always, <laughs> I always loved, like... like we were kind of singing along with it earlier when it was playing for the yeah. sound check or whatever, and it's like, just all that. Just those, it's like, whoa, man. It's just so forceful and strong and... Personality. Feels just, personality, you know. ideas, you know. Um, with Tom and I actually just did a discussion about this album for another mm. series oh, that's right. that, that Tom uh, <laughs> leads, The Vinyl Report. And um, we talked about that album in general. This, there's five tunes on this album, et cetera. Uh, it's just a quartet record with Cecil McBee on bass and Herbie on piano and Joe. And um, it, it's kind of, because, you know, this jumped right out of me when I heard it. I was like, this whole record just kills me. It's probably one of my 
you know, top 20 records ever. And uh, it seemed like there's so much going on, and there, and there is in some ways, but it, no one's ever in each other's way. We talked about this the other mm. day. And it's like, there's all these new ideas, but it's, it's very patient. You know, I think a lot of times, I, I, I fell victim to this, and still do at times, like you get inspired by something, and you want to maybe start incorporating something into your own playing, and, and then you, there's an urge or, or, a, or a habit of maybe trying to overdo it, trying to force things too much. And when I hear Joe, it, it never sounds to me like overly aggressive or over, you know what I mean? Like overactive. It just yep. always feels like it fits naturally. Yep. So the other that's thing something we... in general about his playing that I just really love. Of it's, course. It's, it's active and it's... And it's dynamic and it's sensitive, but it never feels like it's over the top. No. The, the other thing we talked about when we were talking about this record is the fact that these are all young men. Mm. I mean, they are not like older, seasoned pros, so to speak. They're, mm -hmm. they're quite young, and to play with that level of artistic maturity is really, I mean, that's an incredible thing. How old know? would Joe have been in 65? You know, his birthday... I can't. I used to, and I forgot. I should have. How old would Wayne have been? Uh, Wayne was probably older. Joe was younger. I think his first record was Freddie Hubbard's Breaking Point, which is I think '63. So he was in his mid twenties, I mm. think. I mean, he wasn't old. Crazy. You know? I mean, it's amazing. You know? I wonder how much of it is his melodic and harmonic knowledge too, like knowing the compositions more than just trying to play drums on top. You know. I'm sure that plays into it. I mean, he was a very complete musician. I mean, when you listen to the early tunes of his that are on these records, like Mirrors, stuff like that, I mean, they're mm. beautiful songs. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like somebody that. just, you know. I didn't know that was his tune. Yeah. Uh, that beautiful ballad. Oh, my gosh. And the, well, I'm sure we'll get to this, but the, the Bobby Hutcherson band, like so much of that stuff is Joe's writing. A lot of it is. You yeah. know. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it. And, yeah. And it, it, you know. On components. Spiral. Spiral. Yeah. You know. There's a lot of his music, man. All right, Tom, what do you got? You want to go with in order? Because I put them in order. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. Small Guys. Tell me about that one. Oh, Small Guys. That's that's a later one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do that one. Well, yeah, I, whatever order. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. All good. All good. <laughs> All right. So th this is an interesting record. Um, I kind of chose this because it shows Joe in a setting that most people who are familiar with him would never guess he'd be on this record. So this is a Lee Konitz record. And if you're familiar with Lee Konitz, if you're not familiar with Lee Konitz, he's an, an alto saxophonist who was one of the sort of premier students of Lenny Tristano, um, the, 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 the pianist who sort of came out of Charlie Parker but developed his own sort of school. And it's very, very linear. Um, and this record features uh, Lee Konitz and another saxophonist of that same milk named Ted Brown, who was a really good player. But it, they, they play very light, and it's very line-driven, very linear. And one of the characteristics of the Lenny Tristano school is they wanted it to swing, but they, Lenny didn't like the drummer to interact a lot with the soloist. Hmm. So it was kind of just a lot of time playing which for a lot of people would be like, oh, that sounds boring, you know, mm -hmm. but it's sort of, it's sort of a, a characteristic of that style. What, what year is this recording? This is from like 71. I okay, believe. I don't know this record. Yeah, it's, it's, it's off the beaten path, but it, it, and there's not, like you'll, go ahead, we'll, we'll, we'll play it. All right, we'll so this about. is from the top or is this an excerpt? It's an excerpt. Okay. Thank you. 
Interesting. So, you know, it's you, you can hear the way those saxophones are playing. That's that's a great kind of window into that style. And, you know, the cymbal beat is beautiful. He's it feels great, but he's really, you know, he's respecting their styles. He's not trying to, you know, get in there so much, you mm. know. And it's a very interesting rhythm section. The great Albert Daly on piano and that's Rufus Reed. Um very interesting rhythm section, you know. Like when I saw that record, I was like, "Wow!" I bought it just because I thought, "Like I got to hear this. What's this like?" Sure. You know. But it just goes to show that even though he was very innovative and he was this incredible <clears throat> improviser, he could just take care of business and do the gig, you know, and make the music happen. Um, you know, sometimes, as we all know, when you're on a gig, sometimes it's not about what you want, <laughs> but what the music needs sure. and what the the leaders are trying to convey musically and he could do that too so yeah know. i mean it certainly wasn't a lot of space for him to do much else yeah, anyway. there's, a lot, there's a lot of lines right <laughs> what are you gonna say amongst that <laughs> yeah so yeah that's kind of why i chose it it's just like yeah he can he can do a lot of different he's more versatile than people might might think what would you call that style it sounds like it's coming out of bebop but it's it not. is it's it's sort of a cross between bebop and cool jazz if you want to put a label hmm. on it i mean it's you know the the saxophonists like warren marsh and lee they had these very beautiful light sounds um so it's sort of <clears throat> pardon me it's sort of about you know respecting that and not playing in a way that's going to take away from their sound you know what sure, i mean sure mm. um that's kind of how, how how I've always thought about playing yeah. with saxophonists like that because it's, it would be very easy for us as drummers to swallow them up, yeah. to kind of swallow them, or just play in a way that's going to not let their tone speak because so much of it is about that sound. You yeah, know? it's interesting. It's kind of no, an that's, interesting that's, thing. That's, yeah, it's nice. What was the name of that record again? Uh, it's called um, uh, Spirits and Oh man, it's okay. Don't worry about it. But this the track is, um, is called Small Guys. It's called Small... Yeah, that, that, that's a tune that goes all the way back to the late 40s. Mm. That's, that's, that wasn't a new tune back then. Okay. Um, yeah, here you know it. Why don't we get the next track up and all... all. You want to do Effie? Oh, sure. Man. I'm so um, glad you, you chose it. <laughs> I, I found the time stamps, too, if you didn't get them. <clears throat> I think there's only one that had an actual... They all, I sent them after each one. Yeah, but only one of them has a knot from the top. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Indian song, right? Um, yeah, Effie's at the top, yeah, you're right. Okay. I just didn't remember. So this is off of um, a Bobby Hutchinson record called Patterns. Um, this is one of this is one of my favorites. Oh, sorry, no, 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 sorry, sorry. From the I got it. Receiver. Oh. That's yeah. This is this is this is one of my favorites. This is a great record. All right, now the ad is done. So this is oh, what. Cool artwork too. Man. Yeah, these records look cool. Look <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. So this is Effie from the top. That symbol beat is just so, it's so beautiful. So yeah. amazing. It has so much bounce. It's such a beautiful record, man. James Spaulding and Stanley. I mean, it's such a beautiful record, man. All Who, the tunes. Did, did Max play that tune? Who played that yes. tune? Okay. Because it's like giving me this weird, like, why do I know this tune? Yep. 
beautiful. I heard some Tony and, and, and in that. I love the meat, like the meatiness of the symbol. Yeah, it's beautiful. With him in general, yeah. it's like there's this clarity and woodiness to the yeah. to the beat that I. But it's I've still light. Yeah, like it, it, it still it, has yeah, that totally. beautiful floaty. Yeah. yeah. For really. me, his symbol beat is 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 great because it feels great, but also it can have that. It can have this beautiful. You know, weight to it, yeah. but still take a tune like that and not crush it. You know what no, I mean? I mean it's, it's it's every it's all that. It's, it's light. It's strong. Yep. It, the sound of it is so good. It's great, man. Man, such so, so killing. <laughs> He's amazing, man. Yeah, yeah. I just want to listen to this whole record. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of those too. There's a bunch of those Bobby records. We yeah, chill. they're so great. Yeah, unbelievable. So that's definitely a K. So my thought of his ride cymbal sound is totally different now because I just know that A sound. That's got to be a K. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, it certainly could be. I don't know what else it could be. I mean, it's one of those, it's either a K or an A. <laughs> but I think that's probably a K. I mean, it's weird. Like, for some reason, like, the way I'm hearing it today, I'm having a hard, harder time than normal. Yeah. Like, hearing, not normal here, just my own listening. Yeah. To hear, like, the real, the, the, the quality of the sound of the cymbal. And mm -hmm. I can hear all the, all the notes and stuff. But anyway. Yeah. Sounds like to me like he borrowed Tony's ride and use that on this session. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's there's probably uh, there's probably stories behind that. Well, you know, story, like, you know? real quick, I mean, we, we all obsess about these these classic ride symbols and these recordings, and, and I, you know, sometimes I just think if we all got to play any of these symbols, they would just sound like symbols. Mm. I, you I've, know, I, I really think that. It's it's not, it's the, it's, it's the person playing it, it it's their touch, is. and I think if Joe would have been playing a, some Pisces symbol that day, and we'd hear the recording and be like, man, Joe Chambers sounds amazing. <laughs> That's true. You know, I mean, it's, it's the guy. You yeah, know? I mean, it really, it's, it's the person. I mean, there's, there's so many stories about Tony's symbol. Guys who played it were like, like, what is that? Yeah. Like, it's completely different. You know? Well, even take someone now that, like, like, you know, there's so much footage of people playing yeah. in recent times, like, like someone like Dijonette, who I've seen so many videos. Like, Symbols are always different, mm. yeah. you know, and it always sounds just like Jack. Just like him. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, it's you know, whatever. It's I th I think it's fun to sort of speculate and oh, talk about. Oh, it's totally fun, and but, I'm happy to do it all day. But it, but the fun, <laughs> but you're right. It's like he could have been playing whatever, and it would still be great. Yeah, it's know? just the lore of it for me because we have no yeah. we have no proof. Yeah, unless yeah. there's a log sheet of the gear that he rented for that day. Right. It's like we have no idea. There's no photos. There's no. Videos. I mean, I, but I feel like when I hear <clears> Joe <throat> play, it's like usually one of two symbols, kind of, that I hear a lot from from that era. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 And I heard a story, and like, and I don't, I won't even say the names, but I heard a story that. I, Somewhat famous jazz player had asked Joe about some of his symbols, and I think Joe was like, "Oh yeah, here you can you can buy it off me. Like here's a price." <laughs> and then I heard the guy did, didn't buy it, and then I started thinking, "Hmm, maybe I should try to buy." It. But it's like that's a, that would just be more just out of like like a yeah. like a love for those sure. records. It'd be cool yeah. to say oh, this is the symbol that yeah. Joe Chambers played because he's a hero. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I've played a bunch of old K's in old days, and they they all sound pretty good. Yeah. You know. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah, totally different, but I'd heard Elvin had an apartment full of K's, like literal apartment full, some of which maybe never got used. So hmm. when he would give them away or sell them, you don't know what you're getting. He just had hundreds of K's in his apartment. I know, I know uh, Jeff Hamilton told me Mel, Mel Lewis had in his apartment, there was a bathroom that they didn't use, and in this, in this bathtub, he pulled the curtain back. There were symbol bags stacked. Wow. And Je Jeff told me a story. Jeff, I hope it's cool that I'm, I'm telling this. <laughs> he told me that he was looking for, he was looking for a symbol. I don't know. And he was at Mel's apartment, and, and Mel said, and he took him into the bathroom, <laughs> and he said he, he pulled a, a symbol out, and he listened to it, and he said, here, try this one. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Jeff told me, he said, you know, Mel, if I like it, you might not get it back. And Mel said, yeah, that's what I want to hear, though. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's amazing. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. The uh, next one for you, Tom, is Rufus. Oh man, you want to yeah. go there? Yeah. So, so this is this is a really cool record. This is from uh, the Newport Festival in uh, 1965. This is Archie Shep's um, group, which uh, featured Bobby Hutcherson, Archie, uh, a wonderful uh, European bassist, uh, Bar or Barry Phillips 
I'm not sure how you pronounce his first name. I, I never have been. And Joe. And this is this is one of Archie's sort of classic tunes from that era. Rufus, who swung his neck or swung his face to the wind, then his neck snapped. Like that's the that's the whole title. <laughs> wow. But this is it's a really it's a it's a very cool tune. And so we're going to hear Joe's. Um, we're going to hear into like a solo and then the head out. It's it's a short solo, but it's it's very very cool. Check this out. All right. Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. What? <laughs> Who was counting? There was like someone said seven, eight in there. I don't know. <laughs> Did you hear that? No, I heard some people, I didn't know what they said, but I heard some. He was like, oh, we got to listen to it again. I, go ahead. I got to, I got to. Get this record. It's called New Thing at Newport. Okay. Train's band is on it. There's a ferocious version of my favorite things on this. Holy oh, smokes. It's called New Thing at Newport. It's on Impulse. Okay. It's an Impulse record. All right. Listen to it again. Towards the end of his... Yeah, when it's after the solo. Someone says seven, eight. Like they're counting measures? Man, with that <laughs> tune, they probably were. <laughs> it's a great little solo you play. So good. That's my I, guess too. I think that's Archie. Yeah, I don't know why he was counting like that. <laughs> I don't know how they charted that out, man. Yeah, they played the stuff out of it though. I love that. Yeah, it's 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 a great record, and there's there's a few other tracks. They they play great. Archie recites some of his poetry. It's really it's a great record, man. It's a great one. It, when you guys play a solo like that. Are you assuming that no one's following along and you're gonna to have to bring them I, back in? I can't in? play a solo like that. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm if I'm not pl playing like over a form or something like that, if I'm just gonna take an open solo where, yeah. where maybe tempos change or I'm playing more free, yeah, I assume that people aren't. Okay, so you're not trying to even keep yourself in. I mean, I, sometimes I may just try to lead it in with with a phrase that everybody can hear and a nod, or sometimes I might have to be like, what? To, you know, and count somebody back in. I think it, I, I think it a lot. It depends on the tune a lot. You know, like some tunes have those musical devices that you can use, or you can hint at it like a yeah, exactly. You can play the melody or a little play bit. It. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it depends on the moment too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I there there's been, and I'm sure this is true for for probably all of us. Like you're on gigs where you're playing, and and it, that is sort of the arrived at agreement. You know what I mean? That that it's just going to open up. You know, mm. yeah, but sometimes not. It's you know, it's it's what makes it interesting. <laughs> no, for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I get self-conscious about breaking the form. Like, 
Like I, I just play in time, <laughs> even sure. when you're going over the bar line. I, I mean, think for me, it depends on 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 the setting, you know, and the people I'm playing with. Sorry, me yeah, no, you didn't cut me off. I mean, I feel like when I was younger, you know, I was more likely to to get lost in a form sure. playing by myself, or, or or even to maybe so at times when I was really young, even know necessarily. Like I wasn't even thinking about that sometimes when I was, you know, a younger player, and you, I was still hand it maybe like the, the tune to get somebody back in. But but I think now I was like, even though I play open solos, a lot of times like I enjoy the challenge of playing over the, the tune mm-hmm. and trying to to find, you know, things to say as an instrument that isn't playing the, me- you know, like like notes, you know, mm-hmm. but and trying to make. Musical and relate to the to the music more. I'm, I'm finding more and more. Uh, it's more fun to keep trying to learn to do that better and better. You know. For me, I almost always use a form because of that. Like yeah. I, I enjoy that challenge. Totally. And I and if it's <clears throat> if you're playing a tune that has a form, I just sort of naturally usually hear it because I've been playing it for mm-hmm. how many minutes, and so it's just sort of I'm like in that that thing. So a lot of times to break that is almost like kind of jolting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, playing open solos is very challenging because I don't do it nearly as much as other drummers do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I kind of like both. But it, for me, it depends on the setting and who I'm playing with and what we're playing as far as do I abandon the form or do I you know, stick mm. to it. Yeah. Man, that record's cool. What's it called again? New Thing at Newport. Man. It's on, it's on Impulse. That could have been recorded yesterday. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was a working group for him mm. at that time. I don't know how long it was they were together, but I think that was like his, his group at that, at that time. Dig it. Let's do this one next. Eris? Yeah. All right, let me bring it up. Probably have an ad to deal with. Why'd you pick this one? This is a different Wayne record. No, this is a um, this is an Andrew Hill record. Mm. Um, this is a good one. And I just, I mean, again, like I could have picked anything off any of these records, but um, yeah, there's so much to choose from. This one's a little more. I used a word earlier, Mike, when you were talking about his sound. I forget what you said. Like you said, angular and something. edgy. Yeah, I don't know what you did, something like that. Yeah. There's this this record kind of has that this totally like edge to it, and Absolutely. it's, it's kind of I don't know. It's just like Andrew Hills, the pianist Andrew Hills. His music is, uh, and it can also be from album to album very different as far as the mood. But he's a very unique. He's a very unique pianist where no, no. one really sounds like him, but him. No. You know, there's like there's people I've heard. Like, you know, I know Jason Moran's a big fan. I can hear that mm. influence in Jason Moran's playing. Um, but, you know, when I got enamored with Joe Chambers, it was just like that quest. Like, let me find everything I can find that he plays on. And then, you know, next thing leads to something else. Then you get into Andrew Hill. You're like, oh, I need to file the Andrew Hill records that Joe Chambers doesn't play on mm-hmm. now. You know? So, yeah, this is a tune off this record called Pax. And uh, great it's great. It's just great. Before before we hear this, mm-hmm. just just to let you guys know, the the Lee Konitz record is called Figure in Spirits. Okay, it's on the Progressive label. Sorry, couldn't find that because I'm <laughs> aging. <laughs> Does anyone know the background of Andrew Hill? Is he coming out of any particular school of playing? He actually started playing. Um, he played in a lot of early R and B groups. He played behind some singers. Really? Um, yeah, he played with Johnny Hartman for a little while. Yeah, he kind of. You know, go ahead. No, no, no. I, that was it. You may have, I don't know if I saw this in a documentary, if I read it in a book, something about Blue Note, but I read that, like, um, the guys that ran the label were talking about, like, how they loved all the artists on their labels, but they, in this particular thing I read or heard, they were talking about, like, um, Monk, Herbie Nichols, and Andrew Hill being, like, these particular finds yeah, they loved that they guys. were so excited mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And it makes sense to me. There's kind of a... A thread totally is. between those players. They're so such unique pianists, very, you know. Very unique. So, all right. Well, this is from the top heiress off the record. Pax by Andrew Hill. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Yeah, man. There's a there's a some meat on that one, man. Some hair on that one. <laughs> this know? record did not come out when it was first recorded. It really? actually came. This was in this was part of the this was in the vault for a while. Mm. But it's I mean Richard Davis, Andrew Hill. I mean it just yeah I, I don't. It's amazing. That sounds yeah. like a pretty mean band. And there was a bunch know. of that like three phrase you were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, the whole thing kind of feels like it's swaying in this weird three over four. So good. I don't know this record at all. Yeah. You know, like, we've talked about in some of these before, and I think I've addressed some other interview with you, like, I play so many gigs now where I'm just playing a cymbal, snare drum, bass drum, and hi-hat. And I'm just finding so much, like, I'm learning. So and this has been going on for years and years and years. And sometimes, like, my favorite things to listen to with any of these drummers that I admire is just mm -hmm. the stuff that happens in those four voices. Mm -hmm. You know, like the prime, no toms. Not, and, like, the tom playing is great. But just hearing how they use the left foot or the bass drum or the snare drum or the right cymbal. And it's like, that goes for groove playing, like like beat playing, too. It's like, man, it's, it's kind of all It's there. all in there. <laughs> you know? I love doing gigs like that, too. I do a lot of them. And it is, it's a challenge, but it's fun. Yeah. Because it is sort of, as you said, those are kind of the primary voices, you know. Yeah. And all these great players, they, they could do it with probably even less. You know, it's like I, I yeah. felt like every time I play that way, I just, it's teaching me how to play better. Absolutely. 100%. You know, not just hitting stuff because you have things to hit. Well, especially you know? improvising because it's, it's getting the most out of that and yeah. finding the different, I mean, the snare drum alone, you can get so many different colors and things out of it. As well, if you have a good symbol, you can do that too. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a there's a lot you can get out of it if you if you want. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and almost all these records, almost all of them, took a four piece kit and two cymbals. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, you know, I'm not, <laughs> nothing against big kits. If you, if you play some prog band, you want to play octobones. Yeah, yeah. sure. great. Do that. So yeah. I like that too. But man, it's like, the, yeah, I just keep liking less and less, kind of. Yeah, and his left foot had so many colors mm -hmm. like it would somehow he got it to bite through yeah like yeah. what is he doing how do you yeah. get that to do that yeah, yeah. Amazing. magic uh all right tom where are we at with you chief crazy horse oh yeah oh man so Killing. this is my jam yeah so i um i i picked this for a specific reason so i i think joe like a lot of the like so many of these guys all of them probably you know he could come up with a very appropriate, unique, musical, hip way to play these unique tunes. And so this tune, I love the little groove he plays on it. It's very simple, but it, I feel like it makes the tune do what it do, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll check it out. Is this an excerpt or from the top? Oh, it's an excerpt, okay. but it's kind of from the top, I think. The ride sound that I'm yeah. familiar with. Man, what a what a beautiful sounding recording. Isn't that yeah. great? What's, yeah. what's the record? Adam's um, Apple. Adam's Adam. Apple. Wayne Shorter. But just you know the way he constructs that little groove, the little offbeat hi hat, I, yeah, and the way he's playing the cymbal and the tom toms and the little just, rim, the, the rim to the tom. It's tom's. just yeah, it's simple, but it's like yeah, that's how you play that tune. Yeah, you know. 
<laughs> Which brings up a topic I wanted to ask you guys about writing parts for jazz tunes. Like how much, like if you're presented with a composition, is it usually first instinct or does it go through a, a, a morphosis for you or for the band? Some of those Miles records with the bootlegs kind of revealed, oh, it didn't start out the way we heard. Right. Yeah. Well, I think some of that is having the uh, a, a frequent, um, how do I say this? Having the people you play with that are writing music. Mm. You know, some, a lot of gigs, I'm sure all of us do, you're just playing tunes that other people played. So that you're going to play them as you heard them or how you interpret them. Um, like certain groups I play with, like take two two different groups, let's say, like this band I have with Paul Thompson and Ben Obi called Thoth Trio. Like Ben's writing is a very, uh, he's his, he has his voice. Where someone like Dan Wilson on guitar, his writing is a totally different thing. It couldn't be further apart. So, like you mentioned earlier with Joe, it's like you have to do what the leader is looking for or what the composer is looking for while at the same time trying to find how you want to uh, navigate that music. And then the more you, I find the more I play that music, then new things start to reveal mm -hmm. themselves. And like you saying, like these rehearsals with Miles, it develops. Because mm -hmm. now I'll play a gig with Off Trio, maybe it's a tune we played 15 years ago, and it's like, man, we play it totally different now. Yeah. And that might just be through... Evolution. Evolution. It's not even that you even realize it happened. Yeah. It's just like, man, this used to sit in a different tempo. This used to be, yep. I played this, you know, a different way. So I think it's, you know, just trying to figure out, I'm not giving great information, but trying to figure out what works and how to, the quickest way to get it happening no, that, in a short amount of time. That mm -hmm. is good information, though. You know? I think part of the challenge of playing this music today is being able to assess those things quickly on the fly a mm. lot of the time sure. and figure out what works quickly. Especially, I mean, how many times, you know, you on a gig and someone says, let's, let's try this tune, I just wrote it, it's kind of like this, one, two, and yeah. you're just, you're, you're figuring it out on the fly, your list, your antennas are up, you're, you know. So I yeah. think that's a, that's a, it's an important skill. And, and it's nice to have a rapport, uh, a, like a friendship or a, a relationship with people you're working with because then you can trust they're going to give you the good you know if, if Dan Wilson says to me oh it's like an Elvin 3 it's like, they, like you know kind of what that is mm. or Ben will just say oh I'm hearing like a straight 8th feel just do your thing yeah. you know and you and you know I kind of know what that means right. mm -hmm. and then when you hear the mood and the vibe you're like okay I, I know what to do with this you know yeah. also another great reason to be an avid listener because so many times on gigs people will describe things to you by saying, oh, it's like an Elvin 3, mm -hmm. or it's it, it's like Jack DeJanet on Bitches Brew, or this is a, you know what I mean? And yeah. if you've never heard that stuff, you're not yeah. going to know. Yeah, know? <laughs> sure. This is an ECM exactly. straight eighth. You exactly. Know, like, you get these Perfect little, example. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, what we got next? I've got so many records to listen to. Um, I have one. <laughs> Indian do you, song? Do you have two more or one more? Does Tom have two more, two more? You got two more. You do want to do, do one more, Tom? That's fine. You want to do Don Friedman or um, Idle Wild? E either one, man. Either one. Well, Idle Wild's next. So. Okay. So this is this is from a classic Bobby Hutcherson record on Blue Note called uh, Dialogue, uh, which is one of my you, favorites. You always talk about this record. It's a great record. I love it. The band is great, and the, the music's great. It's all you know. The reason I I chose this um, is he's playing brushes on it. And one of the things that I, I really like about Joe's playing, this is true with other, some of these other greats too, is that he can simultaneously fulfill the function of a drummer, but also contribute creatively in really great ways. And I think that's a unique skill to have. Yeah. You know, some, some drummers can be very creative, but when it comes time to sort of take care of business, they can leave you hanging. And then other guys are great at that, but they might not be as creative as other, and he, sure. he can really do both. So mm. that's kind of why I chose this. Plus, he, he was a, a very good brush player, and he gets a great sound. So Man, it's a much bigger topic. Can creativity be practiced and developed? I, that's, that's been a mission for me to figure <laughs> that one out. That's a tough question. <laughs> All right, let's listen to it. 
Mm. So, I mean, what I love about that is that Richard Davis and Bobby are obviously dialoguing a little bit, and so he's he's keeping some semblance of time and flow with it, but he's he's supporting, but he's also kind of nudging them in this direction and that direction, and in a very respectful musical way. You know, that's it might sound simple, but that's hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. gotta be listening. It's probably sound rude, but I feel like he's a he's a a more schooled. Like, he's got all of what I love about Elvin, which we're going to talk about next, but there's like a more sensitivity to the composition that I don't totally. necessarily hear with Elvin. Well, he, I think being a great composer, I think he was maybe a little more, in, not that he would be more in tune than someone like Elvin, but you know what I mean. Mm. He might, he approaches it with a composer's mind. Yeah. And I great think arranger. That, oh, like my goodness. Arranger. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So beautiful. I don't know any of these records. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for you because it's like, I can't wait to what, hear what, what you what, think what, of them all. Because yeah. that's how I get when I, yeah. Oh man, I got this whole new window to, to check out, you know. And he's there's so much. Oh man, stuff, you know, just the Blue Note records alone. Yeah, so just those drill. alone is amazing. You know, the Max Roach M Boom records. There's not a lot of them, but those are really fun to listen mm -hmm. to. I mean, they're they're musical and they're cool and they're. You know, I have the first one. But I got that so young, and it was not anything that I... You probably weren't that into. I was like, what, what the... Is this? This I'm is not super familiar with those. They're, they're interesting. They're, they're, they're fun to listen to. There's yeah. a, a live one at SOBs. That's the last one, I think. And then there's a couple collage, and then the first one. There's not many, but there's a few. Indian Song is your final pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is another, another tune-off of uh, Wayne Shorter, et cetera. Um, I think... Is this one I picked? Yeah, I got 58 section? seconds yeah. in. I think I just really liked some of the what he was getting into. I can speak better on it when I hear it. But, um, I mean, this this record and Adam's Apple, I mean, like, man, I could just listen to these two records yeah, they're forever. Mm, yeah. You know? All right, here we go. It's yeah, you know, yeah. like there's such a wide. It's like when he closes those hi hats. I know. It's, it's like it like, takes like up a minute. To just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's so much sound. I and know. There's so much space, even though there's a lot going on. Yeah, and, and I love that it it grooves, but there's still so much creativity mm -hmm. within it. You yeah. know, like a lot of times you think when something's super creative in a group aspect. It's very free, which it can be, but yeah. in this, it's like there's such, it's that earthy groove, but they're doing all this. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, too, like the way that somebody will interject an idea and the way it takes shape. I know. Herbie plays something, Joe follows it. Yep. You know, yep. Joe plays something, Herbie and Wayne follow it. it it's. Those guys were master listeners, man. Mm. man they so were good. so in tune with every everybody. And some of that stuff he got into at the end of the melody when he started yeah. kind of playing some new ideas. Yeah. I remember, like, I, I'm hearing it now like I heard it when I first heard this when I was <laughs> 20 or whatever. I was like, man, I, I've never heard anybody play that way. No. It's I like, a, it, that's like really, to me, like, that's, that's, Joe, that's some Joe Chambers stuff, you yeah. know? You can hear the ride beat and be like, okay, there's lots of guys that have great ride beats. Sure. His is his is unique. Yep. But it's, you know, there's a precedent set of 
what that is. Some of this stuff, it's like, where did that come from? I know. You know? I know. Well, I, I hear, I mean, there's, I hear some Elvin, some Tony, some Roy Haynes, some... Sure. There's all kind of influence in his playing, but yet he still stands as this, like, you know that's Joe Chambers, mm -hmm. like yeah. you said, you know. Jack's like that, too, to me. Totally. You know, and totally. it might be some of that that composer in them, the fact that they, they play vibes, piano. Yep. Who knows, you know, but... There's some magic in there. It's kind of, that's the thing for me, it's like, it... it it's untranscribable what they're what he's no, doing. No, you can't yeah. write that down. It's, it just has it like a certain edge to it. If you played the transcription, it's gonna just sound like you're reading out of a book. Yeah, you're gonna and not playing yeah. that. You can't. You can't. Yeah, that's what. That's part of what makes it so the great. Nuance. You can't duplicate it. You know. I had to look to see who was on bass because man, Cecil McBee's, he's, he sounds great. And we were talking about this the other day because we just did a whole thing on this album. And actually, we're probably getting as deep on this album yeah. in different ways than the other thing we sure. recorded, but. The first tune on the album, if you ever check this album out, hearing it now, it's like, I was like, man, I didn't realize, like, Cecil maybe he's just kind of, like, if I was on a gig or a session and this bass player started doing that, I would be like, what's this guy doing? What is he doing? But when you hear it, <laughs> you're like, man, that's amazing. It's killing, yeah. And he's not really playing the function of bass. No. He's just kind of, mm. just, and there's a lot of that on this album for everybody, just yeah. like, just nice Interesting decisions, and but then there's toy tune, and it's just like, yeah, it's just that in there, man. Yeah, oh, so man. great. Now, was Cecil in Max's band for a number of years in the '80s? Wasn't That's he the guy? guy? No. Who was in that '80s band? Uh, there was Tyrone Brown, and uh, then there was um, oh, I'm getting old, man. <laughs> there, 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 there were a couple guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that stuff. We could do something on that. I need I to be. Love that band. I need to get more hip to, to that era. Yeah. Well, we got one more to go. Don Friedman, Spring Sign. Yeah, this is an this is an interesting record. I I picked this because this is this, this is again a, sort of a Joe Chambers record that you kind of look at it and be like, wow, Joe Chambers on this record. Because Don Friedman was a really good pianist, but he wasn't in that blue note circle, you know. Like he's on he's on Max Roach's We Insist Freedom Now, um, but he wasn't to my knowledge, and maybe you know maybe maybe he wasn't. He just wasn't on those blue note records. I'm not sure, but. Um, the reason I chose this was, this is very free, and to hear Joe just sort of do his thing, like he's he's contributing in all these really great ways. So that's why I all chose right. it. So we are starting at five fifteen in this track. Yeah, this is this is I think right after the the melody, if I remember correctly, going into the first sort of improvisational section. <laughs> Nineteen sixty-six. Yep, I gotta get that record. So it's it's literally right in this, the, the same period as those Blue Note records. Mm. He um, sounds great, man. Yeah, he's a great pianist, man. He's a great pianist. But it's, you know, that that takes so much artistic maturity and confidence to do to play like that. You know, I mean, that's that's like this is something we talk about. You know, anytime I get a chance to play in that setting, I feel like I grow 
so much because mm. to play that freely, like you got to mean everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can't kind of be like, oh, maybe. Like, no, you got to like, you got to. <laughs> yeah. He's so good at like just. Like he's contributing like with textures and then and then it's like, okay, we're gonna play time now, you know, and to well, add that. You yeah. Know? Yep. It's mm. something, man. It's really very interesting. So where were we in the free jazz era in sixty six? That was kind yeah, of a, it, it, stuff that, that happened. Already, yeah, I mean that was you know? sort of at the beginning, getting like, into sort of the height of it. Really, okay. You know? Like when was Ornette's big breakthrough? Like 59, late fifties, fifty nine, yeah. sixty. Okay. So it's still it had been happening for a while, man. Yeah. That's, that's cool. It had, but it it, it was by sixty four, sixty five, sixty six. It was sort of that was like a scene. By but that but time. some of these records we've talked about, like even, I'm, and I'm more familiar with the Blue Note records than I am. Like I don't know that Don Friedman record, but like, <clears throat> like the Andrew Hill records and some of the Bobby records, maybe more so than. The Wayne record, although some of the other Wayne records get a little looser too, but I mean, there's so much of both sides of the playing there. There's so much free time kind of textural playing, and there's so much just like here's the groove, swing, here's yeah. the swing, you know, here's pattern kind of playing, and um, that's something that's cool for you to like because you're gonna check all this stuff out. Mm. There's so much to to chew on. I know, know? and I love that stuff. So. Yeah. It's it's so fun to listen to it because, going back to what we said earlier, you can hear it hundreds of times, and and then you hear it again one day and you're like, well, wait a minute, what was that? Completely. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's the gift that keeps on giving. No, you're, you couldn't be more right, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, we pay you know eighteen twenty dollars for these CDs. I've gotten more than my money's worth out of it. Completely, man. You know. <laughs> I gotta start tracking some of the stuff down on vinyl. Is the Blue Note stuff hard to find? So a lot of it's gotten reissued. Like, I mean, like, original pressings, yeah, but yeah. You, they're available on yeah, vinyl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We talk about that all the time. I never, I'm, I'm avoiding getting all that stuff on vinyl because I'll just start wanting to buy everything. Mm. <laughs> and I have so much of it. I have it all on CD, but like, I just don't want to buy it all again. <laughs> Even though it's like, I love going to Tom's and opening it up and looking at the pictures real big and stuff, but. Man, what what great music, and I'm just so thankful that. Oh man, I'm just so happy I discovered Joe, and 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 that I was able to have that light bulb turn on. I was able to to hear it, mm -hmm. you know, and it made me be really obsessive about him in some ways, you know. It's nuanced. It's not as as obvious as Tony and Philly Joe. Like I agree. their stuff is kind of obvious. I agree. His is not as obvious to me. It reveals over time like the, what he's going for. See, for me, that's how I came to appreciate Joe. When I first heard him, I liked it. I was like, man, this guy's great. But I appreciate him now so much more. I think just because mm -hmm. I'm older and I've had experiences, and so now when I hear him, it's like, man, he's there's a lot going on there. Mm. It took me a minute to kind of really appreciate it. Yeah. Dope. Well, thank you guys. I've got to yeah, go buy some records. Great. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right, that is it for this week's episode. Hopefully you found some new records to dig into, and maybe we made you a new fan of Joe Chambers if you're not familiar with him. This is some of the best music out there, in my opinion. Um, there's there's so many layers to, to Joe's playing. Just these records of this time period, it's just such great music. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you haven't already, drop a review over on Spotify. Drop some comments on the YouTube video. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. Um, give us a five-star rating. We want to make sure the show gets heard by as many drummers as possible. And uh, we need you to help share it to make that happen. So for, until next week, go listen to some records, and we'll see you then.